You're listening to Lessons from the Boardroom, a business podcast with Kevin Minton, CEO of Chief Executive Boards. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Minton, and welcome to our podcast. I'm excited about our podcast today, where we'll be hosting a conversation with our guest, Merle Karsh. Merle is the president of and co-founder of Windy City Fieldhouse and WCF Events, located in Chicago, Illinois. They're the largest team building and corporate entertainment company in the Midwest, although they also perform events all over the country. The actual field house facility is a 55,000 square foot sports and entertainment complex, which represents just a portion of their business model. Please join me in welcoming our guest today, Merle Karsh. Welcome to our podcast, Merle. Thank you, Kevin. Happy to be here. Appreciate you having me. It's a pleasure. So, Merle, just so our listeners can get to know you a little better, uh, please share a little personal background about yourself. Sure. I've been married for uh, 26 years to my wife, Kimberly. I have two kids who are now both in college and in this environment actually physically at the colleges, which is great. So uh, I'm an empty nester as officially about two to three weeks ago. A little strange having uh, no kids at home. First time uh, in 22 years having no kids at home. But uh, I have a son, uh, Connor, who's at Babson and a freshman and a daughter who's a senior at Denison uh, University. Oh, all right. And so congratulations, first of all, on getting your kids uh, to that point and, uh, you know, making that adju- adjustment as an empty nester, uh, that, that just takes a little bit of time. But uh, congratulations. And I hope they have just a wonderful college experience and that you and your wife find some new hobbies and some new things that you guys can get into now. Exactly. I'll share one sort of funny side. One of our most immediate observations um, of being an empty nester is simply how clean things stay without two uh, teenagers at home. And uh, uh, it's, that's sort of our most immediate observation as we make this transition. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, hey, let's, uh, let's dive into uh, what you're doing uh, right now, Merle. So how does, you know, how does a former manager with Accenture make the jump into owning a major event company. How did you get started in this business? You know, multiple steps. Uh, We were kind of crazy kids. Uh, I started my career at what was then Anderson Consulting. Um, About six months after I started, uh, I came up with the idea uh, with an associate of mine who's now my business partner, also another at the time, Anderson Consultant, uh, about the concept of opening up a sports complex in downtown Chicago open to the public, very much modeled after uh, a collegiate fieldhouse. We had both played sports at different colleges um, uh, intercollegiately, and the concept of a college fieldhouse where the tennis team, the lacrosse team, the basketball team, the volleyball team, the soccer team all used that fieldhouse in the same night essentially was the idea. And about six months after I started at Accenture, I said, you know what, there aren't enough places to play sports in Chicago, indoors places. We should open this up. And uh, kind of a crazy idea. Uh, and uh, I had worked as a, at a strategic consulting firm over some summers, uh, summer internships. So we basically did a proof of concept and a feasibility analysis. Uh, you know, it took us about six months or so and said, you know, we think we can make some money. Being 23-year-olds who didn't know too much about things and raising money and we needed to raise a couple million dollars, oh, we should be able to do this in six months. Seven years later, 
uh, we opened our doors uh, finally. But uh, at that point, I went from being relatively new at Accenture to being a uh, an experienced manager. Uh, and while it was painful to do both, and would this happen, would it not happen, and raising money and the difficulty of that, uh, what it did afford me to do is work from work for some incredibly bright people at Accenture and learn from them and learn a lot of business skills that would definitely serve me well as we went forward uh, and we finally opened in 1997, December 97, so coming up on 23 years. Wow, what a, what a journey just to get to the point to where you could even open the doors and uh... – you know, that was pretty courageous at a, at a fairly young age when, uh, you know, I guess you didn't have a lot at stake back then, but, you know, uh, at least you got started when you were, were younger and were able to, uh, you know, get, get this venture going. So let's, let's just learn a little bit about that. Tell us about Windy City Fieldhouse and Windy City Events. What do you guys do? Okay. So when we first opened, the concept was, as I say, that collegiate field house. Uh, you want to play basketball with a bunch of your buddies. You come once a week or a couple times a week, and you reserve that court time for yourself. Um, so it's kind of a recurring court time. But the concept is there's no membership fees. You pay to play. So if you play once a week or twice a week, whatever the court time is that you rent. Uh, so no membership fees. That was kind of the unique value proposition. We're not a health club. We don't have any health club equipment. But we are the size of a football field. We're 55,000 square feet. We have eight courts. So it's a pretty big arena. And we opened up, and we opened up in December. And, you know, if you build it, they will come in Chicago in the middle of winter when no one can be outside. The real challenge for us, and we knew it was going to be the challenge, was what are we going to do during the day, and what are we going to do at the other times of year? And probably the most uh, significant early pivotal change was the concept of not just simply hosting events. We'd always thought that if uh, an Accenture, someone wanted, needed space, they'd come, maybe we'd take care of the food, but we would never be part of the agenda. And as often happens in small businesses, and, and it's always important to be listening and hearing things, I was talking to one of the partners I had worked for, and this was now kind of getting to April, so we were starting to wind down from the busy winter season, and she said, you know, you've been to a bunch of our team building programs. They're awful. Why don't you come up with something better? And I was like, you know what? I spent six years at Accenture. I did go to a bunch of awful events. Why don't we come up with something uh, unique, more unique and better and better value add targeted for people who had been in the business world? And that is essentially what, what we did. And uh, the unique thing was is that it was very different from anything that was offered because virtually everything that was offered was offered by people who had never spent really a day in the corporate world. So the perspectives of consultants and sort of type A's and what they find engaging and what they're going to find competitive and what they're going to find fun was not particularly reflected in the events that were available. And that's really what we struck a chord with. We defined programs that we as those employees would have enjoyed. And it kind of exploded from there. And that was really the first big pivotal moment of our company to shift gears. Let me not, not really shift gears, to add several gears and to really have two businesses instead of one. And uh, originally we started doing events in the building and then some clients were like, well, we, we don't really want to come to your building. Can you do it here? So we started doing events there. And we went from, you know, a team building event to can you do a scavenger hunt? Hey, will you run our summer picnic? Um, so then it went from being in our building to all over the city to a client saying, hey, can you do something in New York? I want you to do something in Boston. What about Pittsburgh? And uh, that's how it sort of grew from there. Although a large part of our business is still focused in Chicago, we do things all over the country. Wow. Uh, you, you guys have certainly branched out and, uh, you know, just taken the concept from being inside the building and pivoting over to, you know, being able to offer events for companies on their terms at their locations and, and being creative has, has been an evolution over time. 
And I'm sure throughout uh, the, the many years that you guys have been in business now, you guys have seen quite a few things. And so along the way, you know, what's that journey been like uh, for you? What's, what's been some of the biggest challenges that you guys have faced uh, since you, sure. since you uh, started this? Sure. You know, the first thing I, I think for a small business is to realize that what you start out at is probably not going to be what you end as. You know, what you start out at is sort of your ticket to play in the entrepreneurial world. Um, we never would have started a corporate team building company coming out of Accenture, most likely. Why would someone hire us? We were consultants there. That doesn't make sense. But you open up a facility, then clients need a facility, then you're talking to some of those people and they say, come up with something. One thing leads to the next. And one of the most important things I think as an entrepreneur is evolving, adapting to the circumstances around you and taking advantage of the opportunities, not every opportunity, the ones that are beneficial. Because you know, when you look at a book like Good to Great or even things like that, so many times they'll feature um, or discuss about companies that start selling A or doing A, and, and they might still do it down the road, but B, C, and D are way bigger than what they started with. And that was very similar to what we did. Corporate became much uh, larger. Now, in terms of challenges, you know, we've been through uh, the dot-com bubble. We've been through 9-11. We've been through sort of the implosion of 2008 uh, and now COVID. And, and obviously, emotionally, 9-11, from my perspective, was the most difficult of all of those. Um, but to our business, uh, by far the most difficult has been COVID. Uh, in each of those other traumas uh, or circumstances, there was always one part of our business that kept going strong. People were still playing sports. Uh, companies were still doing some, or certain companies were doing great. Other companies, you know, went bankrupt, uh, you know, the dot-com era. But there was always parts of our segment uh, or our businesses between the two businesses that was thriving and going strong to be kind of the anchor. The challenge that we faced with COVID is, you have the government come in, and, and not from a judgmental perspective, but you have this pandemic, and then the government comes in and says, close. You can't do any business. You can't have customers. You can't do anything. You can't have in-person. Again, not judgment whether that's right or wrong. Those are the simple, simply the circumstances that we faced. We were not allowed to run our business. We were not allowed to have customers. Well, how do you run a business when you're told from the government you're not allowed to have customers? So it is required. All of those have required pivots and adjustments. This is the one that has really required massive overhaul, really starting a new business. Obviously, there was nothing we could do on the sports side. The, the, the building had to be closed for three months, four months. And, uh, and that's coming back now. We're allowed to be open to certain degrees and do certain things. The biggest challenge was we really had to start a new business on the corporate side. We had all these wonderful events, which were about bringing people together. We do 100 picnics a summer um, that usually are from 200 to 2,000 people. You're not allowed to have more than 20 people come together, you know, things like that. So when every product offering that you have is now no longer legally allowed to be executed, you better come up with some new product offerings or you're not going to have a business. And really, probably, we were shut down in Illinois, I think, around March 16th, maybe it was the 18th, something along those lines. Um, and by that next week, we were already starting to develop our new products. And for us, it became virtual team building, uh, virtual scavenger hunts, virtual pub trivia. You know, if we weren't going to be able to meet, we had to have product offerings that were allowed in that offering or in that environment. So we immediately, and, and for us, we had to first 
what are the ideas? Let's start building them. Um, let's test them. While we're testing them, we got to figure out how we're going to price them, while we're pricing them, how we're going to propose them, what our proposals are going to look like, so that we get our sales force on the phone making endless calls to people talking about, hey, you can't have your in-person events anymore. Here are options for you. Here are ideas for you. And it was, it's very much like starting a brand new business because while we had tons of great and loyal customers, we had tens of great and loyal customers for product offerings we no longer offered. So it was essentially like starting from scratch. We had to define who, who's going to do virtual events. Um, they may not be the same customers they had. They may not be the same people in companies that were hiring for, you know, the HR person who did the whole summer event. They may not be the person who's going to do the virtual scavenger hunt for one team that wants to keep their sales force motivated. So it was really much like starting a new company. And the difficulty was right now being around 23 years, we have tons of clients who tell other clients about us. We have tons of clients who say what a great uh, program our team challenge. You should do their team challenge. You should do their summer picnic. You should do their scavenger hunt. Uh, Now we have no one saying anything because no one has done a virtual event with us. No one knows what that is. So there's no one who can, you know, person A at a company who can tell person B and C, hey, we just did this. This was great because you know what? No one had done it. So it was really like uh, the whole concept of the flywheel principle, like getting that first rotation or second rotation was just brutal for us. It was truly starting over. No one had seen it. No one had um, experienced it. There were no internal referrals. There were no external referrals. There's no one we could quote to say what a great job they had until we could start getting these. So it's like, you know, running uphill uh, at a, you know, 70 degree incline. Um, into the wind, into the snow, both ways, you know, the, the classic joke, if you will, just trying to get that first turn of the flywheel. So uh, we essentially started doing that. Um, and, you know, circumstances with COVID kept changing. I mean, I, I thought we'd be at home for two weeks, four weeks, maybe a month or two. Who? I mean, six months later, I remember talking to a client who was canceling their July event. It was April 10th. I'm like, we, we've been at this three weeks. Why are you canceling your July event? Little did I know, like, no events in June, July, August, September relative to big outdoor events. It was a thousand person event. So what we did is basically started and and as a company, the challenge was we gotta try to make some money we gotta try to pay our bills, excuse me. You know we had 19 full-timers. We normally have about 50 part-timers. Um, the part-timers, you know, we, we obviously um, couldn't continue to maintain because we had no building from them to do. And, and those part-timers often would work two hours a week, six hours a week. But our commitment was to our full-timers. We were going to do what we had to do to keep our full-timers. So, um, but we have no revenue coming in. For three months, we had zero revenue coming in, essentially, uh, April, May, about two and a half months. And then June, we started finally selling some of those scavenger hunts, maybe a couple in May. Um, and of course, the, the sports side of our business, we weren't even allowed. The first day we were allowed back in the building was May 26. So over three months, excuse me, two months later, the first time the rules changed to where we really could kind of have customers uh, doing stuff in the building other than maybe a one-on-one private session was June 26. So for that side of the business, not a, you know, not a dollar of revenue for nearly three months. So for the corporate, so right now we find ourselves as like a startup. You know, when you open a business, you're not going to make money on day one. So what we're doing right now, either your first goal when you open a business is break even. And that's essentially what our goal is right now. Our first goal is we're not worrying about trying to make money. We are worrying about we need to break even. We got to stop the hemorrhaging, uh, minimize how much uh, it's costing, and then break even. And you know we are we're not quite there, but we are just about there after what has been you know a pretty challenging six months. But when you can't sell anything for three months, 
you dig yourself a hole. So right now with uh, the the virtual events, which, you know, we were doing one or two, uh, you know, a week, you know, or maybe four or five a month. Now we're up to almost two to three a day. Uh, So we're starting to get some momentum. And that's where really some of the the positives can come from is when you do have to pivot, um, you want some of those positives to turn into long-term goals. Probably a little bit long-winded, but uh, did that answer the question? (laughs) (laughs) It it did. Uh, Merle, thank you for for sharing that. I mean, what a a story. And nothing like uh, having something that's out of your control, such as the government forcing your business to go dormant as a result of a pandemic. And, you know, that's the thing about a crisis is that no one really knows when a crisis will end. And that's got to be probably the biggest stressor. Uh, yeah. uh, of something like this is that, you know, if you knew what the end date was, then you could kind of plan for it. But mm-hmm. uh, not knowing the end date or or how things are going to come back or how long this is going to last just must have been a, a, a real toll upon, you know, you as as an individual who's, who's trying to lead this company in this effort. But it sounds like the flywheel is starting to spin. And so th- with this being your biggest challenge that you have faced, you, know, you, you mentioned a couple of others, but with this one having been your your biggest challenge, what are you taking away from it? What is it that you've learned along the way so far up to this point? You know, I, I think the consistent message whenever you have challenges are never give up. You've got to have a plan. I mean, when we were trying to raise money as 23-year-olds, 25-year-olds, the amount of people who told us we were idiots, I mean, maybe they were slightly more polite, but more or less we were idiots. Um, the idea has never been done anywhere in the country. It's not going to work. It's a dumb idea. What are you thinking? Um, and one quick funny aside, you know, this was the 90s, so from 94 to like 97 when we were doing the real money raising. And going back in history slightly, but that was when the market did nothing but go up. And I had more than one meeting of investors tell me, why would I invest in a startup when I can put my money in the stock market and be guaranteed a 20% return with absolutely no risk. It doesn't make sense to start to invest in a startup that might be 10% because the market's a guaranteed thing. And when you go back and you look at the history and what the market did from like 90 to 99, it was a pretty guaranteed thing. And about 98, I guess, is around kind of when the dot-com bubble, I think 99 occurred. But at that point, that was the demeanor. And, you know, you've got to overcome people telling you you can't do it. You have to have a real plan. You have to have a good plan. It has to be sound because lots of things aren't truly achievable because they're just simply not good ideas. But tons of people are going to tell you it's not possible, you can't do it. And, and it's that mentality of never giving up, which we did to first open and then overcome you know, the first challenges, that is essentially the attitude now. I mean, we can give up. You know, we're at a stage that maybe we just give up and go do something else. And you know, we're you know, in our 50s now instead of uh, our 20s. But that does a lot of negative things to people who work for us. And, and you know, I think it's something – and we're not a huge company, but you know, 19 employees, I think there's – 35 kids involved. There's 19, 20 mortgages involved with that. You know, we don't want to give up for the sake of them and we don't want to give up for the sake of ourselves, but you, you've got to be willing to keep pushing. Um, you know, we had to realize very quickly, and for us, it was truly several days that we have to start coming up with other products. And you know what? If those products don't work because COVID ends in two or three weeks, and we're back to normal. So be it. It was some wasted intellectual energy. But if COVID lasts, we better have some options. And and we were pushing hard, and we were our guys were working a ton 
even though we weren't selling anything. Why? They had to create product offerings. They had to create what it was going to cost. What it was going to, we had to test technology. We didn't know anything about Zoom or pushing people into multiple rooms and how many you know, capacity limits you have, how many people you can do, how to do all this virtual stuff. We had to get our guys trained on that stuff. And the resounding, I think, message is we're all going to face challenges at work and at home. You have two choices. You give up or you keep pushing with a plan. It isn't just keep pushing. You have to know where you're going, what you're trying to do, and what the alternatives. And, and sometimes those plans you know, won't work out, but you got to have some kind of vision and some kind of plan to get us through. And that really is what drove us. And, and the silver lining now is because we're doing so much virtually, we've actually expanded our client base. Uh, we do a lot more with clients from New York. Uh, some lovely person who I will, may never know who it is put our stuff up on the New York law firm event planning website. There's a, some kind of website out there for event planners of New York law firms. We don't even know who put our stuff up there, uh, but they posted our stuff. We've gotten you know half dozen, dozen events from New York law firms that we never would have done any business with. Well, I think in the long term, yes, some of our virtual events will go away because people will be desperately want to do things in person again. But some of the things that really have manifested that I think will stay is some of the companies we work with, they'll have like New York take on Barcelona, take on Boston, take on San Francisco in a competition. That was never something that anyone really thought about doing, this kind of multi-office, real-time, having the interns from five different states um, compete head-to-head on the same event together. Um, So by fighting through this, we've expanded our customer base. We've enhanced our relationship with some clients because, let's face it, a lot of clients are just home bored to tears sitting by themselves. So in some cases, they're more willing to talk than they were willing to to in a normal environment. So we've expanded our customer base. We've expanded our profit op- product offerings, even though you know a bunch of our product offerings aren't viable right now. Um, and I think once things get going, we are going to see an explosion. I mean, the one benefit I think, and it's easy for people to see, is once companies can do in-person events, is there any doubt that they're going to want to do uh, a team activity and get their employees together next summer? Let's knock on wood that you know the vaccine is out and this is all behind us. What company isn't going to want to do a summer outing next summer and get their entire company together and probably kids? So you know, we're certainly pro- projecting an explosive 2021, provided you know the darn vaccine gets here and whether it's a month from now, two months from now, I certainly hope no more than four months from now that people are, you know, really doing that. And and it's not hard to see how corporations are going to desperately want to want to see um, or want to do events in person, get their people back energized, working together, all that kind of good stuff. And for us, that should sort of be explosive uh, when that happens. Our challenge, we got to get there. We got to be able to generate enough income, break even, make a little, even if we lose a little, but just little amounts either way to get there. And then once we're there, then, you know, hopefully have an explosive uh, 2021. Merle, I love your outlook on this. And uh, you're, you're the prime example of somebody that has been through challenges before. Uh, you came out on the other side. You know that you can come out on the other side. You know that in, in the form of a challenge like this, that you're going to take one step forward, two steps back, maybe one or two sideways, and you, you you have to pivot along the way. You have to be a little creative. And that's the beauty of, you know, people who are in business ownership is that uh, I think sometimes we neglect to understand the creativity of business ownership to, to yeah. overcome and adapt to things like this. And so you 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 understand what it's like to have 
been through some challenges like this, and you know that you've come out successful on the other side, you survived it, and you came out on the other side, it probably made you stronger on the other side. It certainly sounds like the pivots that you guys have made uh, up to this point is going to make you look a little different on the other end, but you're also going to probably have an expanded, like you said, you're going to have an expanded client base. You're going to have some new products and some new services uh, that you can offer to your, to your clients. And so things may look a little different when you come out on the other side of this situation, but it's probably going to be a better situation for you, I, I would imagine. It's, you know, I think it'll take time for it to get to better, but it definitely uh, will give us more long-term possibilities. You know, expanding our customer base and getting tied into more larger companies outside of Chicago uh, is definitely a huge benefit for us. Benefit for us, and um, I think, uh, you, you know, the key, and you mentioned it, it's about you know, seeing the writing on the wall and adapting, you know, and we've talked about it at different times, but the whole book of who moved my cheese, you know, which whatever is like 18 pages long or something, but you know, it's so much easier to just say, you know, let's just keep hoping it works. Let's just keep hoping, you know, that, that this will happen. Um, and let's not change anything. If you don't change anything, you know, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Um, and change actually sometimes while painful can be fun. It's new product offerings. I mean, Changing and starting to do corporate events 21 years or 22 years ago really changed our entire outlook on our business, entire the profitability of our business, um, long-term longevity of the business, or longevity of the business, I should say. And I think we're in a little bit of a situation with that here. Um, this is just sort of unprecedented. I mean, when you think about all the risks that uh, could happen to a company, not high on that risk is the government saying all of your market segments can no longer be executed. You have to be closed. That's that's not exactly one that you work on, on on a nightly basis of what if the government, and again, not passing political judgment, a pandemic that forces the government, whatever, but basically someone coming saying all the products that you have, you can't sell. You know, it's like they came and said sports cause cancer and all of a sudden no one's going to play sports again. You know, in yeah. a sense, it wasn't cancer, but it was something else. Playing sports are going to be COVID, so you can't do any sports. Like who in their world mind eight months ago would have thought this was even a possibility. But you got to adapt and and figure out things to make yourself stronger, hopefully in the long run. Well, you know, uh, this is certainly a curveball that nobody uh, would have ever built into their business model. Uh, but you guys seem to have the right mindset. You've been proactive in your approach towards it. And persistence, obviously, uh, has been part of your, your, your values and how you approach this. And what an experience to share with everybody, Merle. And I appreciate you you taking the time to do that. So let's just uh, let's move over towards the other side here and talk about what's been your biggest success since you've been in this business. What what is it that you've done or you've encountered that has been probably your greatest accomplishment? You know, honestly, in some ways, you know, there's there's different tiers. So I don't know which one's the single greatest. Opening, in some ways, probably certainly till COVID was by far the most challenging hurdle there was in the entire process. It's just getting our doors open because never been done, no company like this. Uh, we're asking people for millions of dollars and we're 23 and 24 and 25, uh, no track record. Um, so certainly opening was one of the biggest successes. I think adapting, and I think one of the big, biggest successes in the current environment is really 
developing essentially a new business within a new business, a new business within a business, which is the whole virtual line. Um, one of the things, and I know you know about it, is um, holiday parties. You know, we actually expect uh, virtual holiday parties to be explosive this year because I just don't see these companies saying to their people, hey, you know what, this year has been awful. Maybe there's a company we did okay, but emotionally it's been awful. We've been working from home. Um, yeah, we'll see you next year. They're going to want to do something for their employees. They're going to want to do something nice. And the likelihood, unless they're a real small group, at least in Chicago, uh, they're not going to do it in person. Uh, so um, this this whole line of holiday party product offerings that we've developed that we're really just kind of launching now around Labor Day. I mean, we had a, a demo event of 100 corporate planners. And we said to them, so this is about two weeks ago, so what are you guys thinking about for your holiday parties? I mean, all blank stares. Oh, my gosh what in the world are we going to do for the holiday parties? So we think that we actually may turn this into a pretty nice success in the end relative to this because there is a tremendous market out there, companies need to do holiday parties, and there is not a single existing product offering for them in the current marketplace. Everywhere they've always gone, they've gone to hotels, can't do that. They've gone to big restaurants, they can't do that. Virtually anything they've ever done for a holiday party in the past is no longer viable for this year. So when you talk about the successes, I think I think some of our biggest successes is developing that new product offerings. And I hope to tell you down the road that one of our biggest successes ever was developing a product line of virtual holiday parties, and it was explosive. So I can't tell you that it was a success, but I'll tell you what I'm hoping will be one of our biggest successes, and I think it, it could be the virtual holiday party season this year. So uh, I'm wishing you all the best with that, Merle. It sounds like a fantastic idea and de definitely a gap or a need that needs to be filled uh, for, for companies. And, and companies are looking for creative solutions right now. And that's exactly what you guys are bringing to the table. And so let's just kind of step back. And uh, you, you also brought up one of your other biggest successes was opening this new concept without a track record at such a young age. And you know, it would never been done before and, and so forth. How did you overcome that? What, I mean, you, you mentioned persistence earlier, but what was it that was sort of the turning point? What, 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 what is it that you can trace back that identifies that, that, that contributes to you being able to successfully do that? Really never giving up and volume. I mean, only a very, you know, it's really sales at the end of the day, getting people to invest with you is sales. And, um, it was just like trying to sell a product. We were going to have a very small success rate of the people who were going to invest with us. And I look back now and, and look at you know many companies that have failed and some that have succeeded. Why in the world did anyone invest with us? I mean, it makes no sense. We ha I would never invest with us retro, you know, retrospectively um, if someone came to me and, and, and didn't know. And what we learned was that people who somehow had a relationship with us invested with us. And the percentage, once you got past that first connection, and I'm not talking about relatives, I'm talking about business uh, business associates, friends, people like that. Once you got past that first relationship, um, now I'm a friend of a friend, I went from like a 70% close ratio, let's say, to a 5%. You know, every, every person at Accenture that I had worked for um, over the years, every single one of them, once I could tell them I was doing this, every single one of them invented, or excuse me, invested with us. Um, but they, they had a relationship. They, they knew me. They had seen me work. But the second, it might be another partner who had, you know, they had told, you know, it goes down. Our friends, unfortunately, our friends were broke 24 and 25-year-olds. They invested with us. And every little bit helped. But I think the fundamental point 
was perseverance and volume. You just got to keep talking to more people and talking to more people. You know, I was working at Accenture, working until 6, 7, 8 o'clock at night. I would go meet with investors at 9 o'clock at night and present. You know, and it was about just talking to more and more people. And it was slow. It was a slow, slow. We thought it would take us six months to a year to raise the money. It took us five and a half years to raise the money, you know, over a different part, maybe more than four and a half years, but let's call it five years to raise the money. It took a long time to raise, you know, several million dollars uh, for this. Um, but it was about never giving up, basically, uh, even though you never, you, you always wondered whether it was ever going to happen. You know, what a, what a great story of persistence. And, you know, it sounds to me like uh, you didn't know what you didn't know. In other words, you didn't let the blinders yeah. keep you from, you know, people telling you that, hey, this is never going to work. This is right. a bad idea. You know, you, you guys didn't know that it was a bad idea. And you didn't let right. that stand in the way. And, and the key was really just getting that flywheel spinning and gaining some momentum to, to start getting the investors on board. So you know, again, congratulations on being able to do that, Merle. And so that leads me to ask you, you know, what what a fantastic success story. And and now you're re- reinventing yourself, uh, which eventually, you know, could make you a, a much stronger company, a more viable company, greater revenue streams, possibly down the road here. What is it that you believe that makes some people successful while others do struggle or, or fail? You know, I, I think it's really hard for people to tell you no, and this isn't going to work, and, and to give you bad news, and how you filter that. Um, some people, I think, are ignorant enough, like myself, to try to ignore it. Now, not ignore maybe the, li- the life lessons or the, the lessons in there, but ignore the pessimism. Ignore, you know, understand from an emotional intelligence perspective, a lot of times why people don't want you to succeed, why people aren't going to necessarily give you the best advice, why people aren't going to help you. And understand that at the end of the day, it's really about you and are you going to do it and are you going to persevere? That doesn't mean that when people tell you an idea is bad, you don't sort of take some time to think about, okay, well, what were the specifics? Don't just tell me an idea wasn't bad. What wasn't going to work? Why wasn't going to work? Okay. And then you can sit and disagree, not necessarily with that person, but as you're analyzing, analyzing, you know what, that person's wrong. This part is going to work, but you know what, they are really right about this, this aspect. I mean, originally we wanted to buy our own property. You know, the problem was to buy the property would have been great because here we would have had it for 25 years, but we would have needed to raise so much more money. The return for investors would have been so much less that we never would have gotten investors. So, you know, we first started thinking, oh, we're going to buy the property. They'll like that we invested in property. Yeah, they may like that we invested in property, but if we had to raise triple the money to buy the property, their return would have been a third. And if the return was a third, no one was going to invest. So, you know, when that first investor or advisor kind of said like, hey, yeah, I remember the, I remember the quote, one of them said, even Hugh Packard didn't own their first building. Okay. You know, that was a pretty good. That was a pretty good message. Like, okay, you know what? Let's keep our costs lower. We can give a better return to investors. So I think the difference between those that sort of do and those that maybe um, that don't or, or get demoralized is you've got to filter out the bad news, but also try to learn from it. What can you learn from it? And sometimes nothing. Sometimes it's just someone who was a jerk. Um, but other times, you know, they had some really good uh, reasons for their concerns or their issues. And how do you overcome those? And, and what can you prepare? The, the other thing that I will tell you is through our process, 
we had to ask the investors to reinvest several times, meaning uh, before we could break escrow, they, it went into an escrow and we would have 90 days. And if we didn't have the lease in time, then we had to get it for 90 more days and stuff. And literally what it was was we had to raise enough money to get escrow. So when we had a million dollars, we couldn't break escrow until we had two million. So those investors we'd have to go back to and say, hey, you know, we think we can do it in the next 90 days. Will you give us 90 more days and just sign this document? And what I noticed was if I was kind of aggravated, if I was kind of down, it was really hard to get those people to uh, re-up, to reinvest, you know, not reinvest, but to extend their investment for another 90 days. But when I was optimistic and I was upbeat, it was like uh, the easiest phone call in the world. And I realized that, you know, they're not just investing in an idea, they're investing in me and they're investing in us. And if we're not optimistic, if we're not conveying a positive message that this is going to happen and I had a long day at Accenture and now it's eight o'clock at night and I'm trying to convince these people, all that kind of stuff, you know, they feed off of that without even realizing it. And they were less optimistic and they were enthusiastic. Hey, well, you know, let me think about it for a couple of days and, you know, I'll get back to you. But when I was upbeat about, hey, this is going to happen, this is why, and all those things, they fed off that as well. And yeah, okay, great, just send me it over and I'll uh, resign it. And uh, don't underestimate the power, I don't know if it's persuasion, but of energy. It, it, no one is going to follow you if you don't have the passion and energy to get through whatever hurdle it is. If you're downtrodden, if you're, this is impossible, we're never going to get through this. Yeah, but follow me. Never going to happen. Um, you've got to be, you know, as I joke a lot of times, half of my role here is head cheerleader. And, um, and that's certainly the case is in a crisis. I mean, to, you know, our guys, yes, they're not getting bonuses. They're not going to make as much as they made last year, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, they're, they're worried, you know, about their jobs and stuff. But if I'm, if I'm not upbeat and energetic, it's over. You know, you, you, you bring a really, really valid point to light here and that it's, it's, it's going to be very difficult for somebody to invest, especially uh, their money, uh, in somebody who is not enthused about the product that they are right. trying to sell or the business yeah. that they are trying to develop. And so, yeah, you, you as the, the leader of the company, your mindset, your whole outlook has got to remain positive because they're all the spotlight is on you right now. And so right. if you're not enthused, if you're not projecting a uh, positive outlook, you know, why would somebody invest in something like that? Uh, that's right. a loser. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And well, even like our employees right now, the issue with our employees now, like there were dark days. I mean, they're not idiots. Our business is closed. They know we're not generating every money or any money. You know, they see it. They're looking, what's the plan? Are we confident in the plan? Is it going to succeed? Should they quit now? You know, things like that. They've got to, it's got to be passion, energy, and a, and a vision. You've got to show them the way, even if that way is a little cloudy and a little dark and keeps changing because, hey, we thought COVID was going to be two weeks. Okay, maybe a month. Okay, it's not going to be more than two months. I mean, are you kidding me? Five months from now, we're still going to be somewhat locked down. I mean, no one would have told us that in March, uh, you know, in our wildest, you know, estimations. Um, so it's sometimes cloudy, but they're, they're feeding off of whether you're confident or not confident. Um, and it's difficult. It's really difficult at times. It is, yeah. And so, Merle, you, you've kind of laid out a plan of what the future looks like and what you're anticipating and what you what you anticipate the, you know, what the new successes look like. Um, and so I just want to ask you to sort of elaborate on what is it, you know, that kind of makes you optimistic about 
you know, the fact that you're going to come out on the other side of this and what's the future going to look like of your business? What, what, what is it that, that makes you optimistic about this? You know, I think there's a couple things. Clearly, there's the science related to COVID. I mean, they've made tremendous progresses on on the vaccines. I don't think anyone's sitting here saying we're not going to have one. It's just a matter of when. Is it a month from now that the first people getting is two months? Is it four months? Hopefully not a whole lot longer than that. Um, So there's an end. We all see that there's an end. It may not be a black and white, the light switch goes off and it's an end, but there is an end uh, and then we'll get back and, and we're going to get past this. So first of all, emotionally, uh, I think that's upbeat for everybody. And, and you can start feeling that even in discussions, whether it's friends, neighbors, whatever, the people are feeling we're getting closer to the end. From the company perspective, all the things that people haven't been able to do, we think they're going to desperately want to do again. It's not like, you know, COVID, God forbid, is cancer or whatever, where, you know, for the rest of your life, you can't do sports because, you know, it now causes cancer or whatever. So all of our product offerings that have been shelved and our corporate events that have been shelved, uh, I, I think they're going to be, it's even going to be more exclusive next year because I just can't imagine a company next year not wanting to get their employees together. I mean, who's not going to want to have an unbelievable great corporate barbecue next year? And, And the reality, too, is some of our biggest competitors are gone. And, you know, they're not going to be around. And, and uh, for us, it's not, you know, other team building companies, but, you know, for summer events, we compete with the Cubs and the Sox. Of course, they'll be around. But like, there's a racetrack that a lot of people go to for summer outings. Okay, they're closing down, you know, after whatever, they've been around 80 years or something like that. So there's going to actually be fewer options for people. I think it's going to be a bigger marketplace because a lot of clients do picnics every other year or a big summer event every other year. Well, next year will be the year. Everyone's going to do it next year. And there are going to be 20, 30, 40% fewer options for them, which I think for us spells a very, as I joke with my staff, enjoy the shorter hours now because next summer we hopefully will be killing ourselves because uh, of how much we're going to be working with all the events we're going to have. And, you know, that's a, you know, it's a little bit of good news, bad news for them in a, in a fun way. Hey, Mo, I have to tell you, I'm, I really enjoy your, your passion and your, and your optimism. And, you know, that's the nice thing about having been through a couple of these things is that you do know that there's an end to something right. like this and it's yeah. not going to last forever. They never do. Uh, things are always changing. And this really is not a financial crisis for the most right. part. I mean, there, there's yeah. a lot of pent up demand, like you said, and there's a lot of corporations out there that still have very strong balance sheets. And there's a lot of liquidity in the market right now. Right. And the fact that you've got, you know, fewer competitors and and, you know, there's going to be fewer options and that's probably going to create more demand for your product. So I just love the fact that, you know, that all you have to do is just get to the other side and, you know, there's yeah. an end to this. So yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you, 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 you sharing that with us. Did, did you have something that you wanted to add to this? No, no. I mean, I totally agree. It, it's you. This is unique. The, the length of this has now started to cause some financial you know, traumas for companies, but it's not a financial problem. You know, many companies, I mean, you look at the stock market, many companies are doing great, you know, and their employees are working from home and the happiest pie and all that kind of stuff. So it's not like coming out of 2008 where almost everyone was doing parable. No one was going to do employee events. No one was going to spend money, you know, and, and, you know, 
9-11, which was like, is it even the right thing to go do something now for our, you know, it just didn't feel right. So this is different. And, and I mean, the celebration, like I, I almost, and I certainly not old enough to know what it was like at the end of World War One or the end of World War Two, but, but there is a day coming, whether it's two weeks, four weeks, three months, where no matter what news site you watch, in big, bold, three-inch letters, it's going to say, vaccine approved. And even just thinking about that emotionally almost gives me chills. Like, that is coming. We just don't know what day it is. And I, I think there's going to be some explosive growth once, um, once we get to that day. Well, Merle, I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been to have you on our podcast today. Our, our guest today uh, has been Merle Karsh with Windy City Fieldhouse and Windy City Events out of Chicago. And Merle, uh, we're about out of time, and I want to wrap this up. And so I want to ask, where is the best place for our listeners to go to learn more about what you do and learn more about uh, Windy City Fieldhouse and Windy City Events and, uh, and, and connect with you? Absolutely. Um, I'll give you my phone, my email, and then our website. My phone, uh, my direct line is 773-486-7403. Again, 773-486-7403. My email is Merle, M-U-R-R-E-L, at WCFEvents.com, Walter Charlie Frank Events.com, plural. And our website is WCF Events, Walter Charlie Frank Events.com. Well, Merle, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure having you with us uh, today, and I look forward to reconnecting with you again soon. I hope you'll come on another podcast with us. Sounds great, Kevin. Thanks for having me. The Lessons from the Boardroom podcast is sponsored by Chief Executive Boards. It's lonely at the top, but that doesn't mean you need to go it alone. We've got your back. At Chief Executive Boards, you have access to business best practices, insights, and resources that can help you eliminate the stress, anxiety, and pitfalls of running a business. Whenever you're ready, here's how we can help. Number one, get a copy of Kevin's book, In Search of Balance, The Business Owner's Guide to Building a Business and a Life, at chiefexecutiveboards.com slash book. Number two, attend a Chief Executive Boards event in your area to find out if CEBI can help you. For a list of upcoming events in your area, go to chiefexecutiveboards.com slash events or call 864-527-5917.